You're listening to episode 72 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. So last weekend was the Academy Awards, and like, was it just me or was Boss Baby really snubbed this year? (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it called Baby Boss? No, no, no. No, It's Baby Driver. It's Boss Baby. Oh, no, it's really? Bar- it's a trilogy. The first movie is, is Boss... The Best Baby? <laughs> yeah. Well, Boss Baby is the best baby. He got the most raises and promotions to become the Boss Baby. Who judges that? Who exactly is in charge of the babies? <laughs> well, mommy and Daddy in corporate, am I right? <laughs> I think the joke that you just made was about as riveting as the Oscars themselves. So thank you for that, Phil. Uh, <laughs> Are you going to play the music to play me off? No, I'm just going to tell you to shut up. Because uh, that's how we do it here on the Comics Pals. We're rude. Um, but we will not be rude to our guests. Uh, Says we you. Are- <laughs> that's not nice. <laughs> First, he was mad that you stepped on his line. And then-, then he accepted it was pretty funny. That's actually horrible. No, it's not funny. Uh, we-, we are very pleased to have two of the members of the creative team for Crowded, uh, which we talked about actually last week, I believe it was, um, a huge announcement coming out of the Image Expo. Uh, We've got two of the creators from Crowded, Ted Brandt and Rose Stein. So thank you so much for joining us. How are you guys doing? Hey. We're great. Thank you for having us on. Yeah, we're absolutely thrilled to be here. Thanks for coming on. Awesome. So I'm familiar with you guys, but I didn't know that I was. Uh, because you've actually, you've worked on some things that I've read, uh, and it's always interesting. I had this experience with, uh, Christopher Sabello. We actually had him on the show, uh, a few months back and, uh, I didn't realize I knew who he was just because like you see a name on a book and it's like, oh, that was really good. I wonder who that was, but then you kind of forget about it. You guys worked on a little bit of, uh, Captain America, Steve Rogers, which I was a super huge fan of. Um, and then you also worked on the Mighty Captain Marvel. So yeah, we we went through like a six month period of just um, we were kind of uh, helping out around the Avengers office, basically just. Uh, we were essentially the character actors of comics for six months. Yeah, so um, like anytime <laughs> they um, they were going through some slight difficulties, um, like if um, artists were having you know personal problems that just meant they couldn't quite make, make a deadline, then. We were the guys for a few months. You were tag team partners. You were ready to tag in at any time. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, what it was, was. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it was a, a weird six months, but a really fun one. What does that experience sort of entail? I'm kind of fascinated by that. So, how does that work exactly? We would email um, Tom and Alana, Tom Bravot and Alana Smith, Smith and say, do you have any jobs at the moment? <laughs> Basically, <laughs> or occasionally, like, on a couple of occasions, they they did get in touch and say, you know, um, this one's this book's running behind, and we need to, you know, keep up. Are you available, like right now? And we were. So there you go. There was one memorable time where there was literally one page needed doing, and said, so they came to us, like, can you get this done by tomorrow? I'm like, yep, okay. So yeah, in the um, it was one of the Avengers point. Like I think it was Avengers point five, or something like when they were doing the kind of the point, you know, um, sort of secondary 
um, issues. Essentially, we don't actually remember what we've done. No, but we, 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 had, <laughs> we had one page of Avengers that we've done, which was fun, but it you know, would have been nice to do a little bit more. <laughs> well, hopefully Marvel uh, con- continues to consider you guys because you have to afford your, your pizza uh, obsession. So, yes. so. Well, that's how I picture these emails coming. They're like, guys, this is a real last second notice, 23rd hour, 11th hour. Uh, <laughs> can you do this? And you're just sitting there eating pizza. And it's like, uh, I'm kind of busy, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll always take it because what you got to remember is just because I have pizza now doesn't mean I can, I can afford pizza tomorrow. That's a very good mantra to live by. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did you guys. That's sorry. Pizza. I tweet about pizza every week when we make it. Ah, right. <laughs> it's not an addiction, of course not. No. <laughs> it's a lifestyle. Yeah, once a week, that's a passion. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've done well in, you know, cutting down. <laughs> Instead of being a pizza a day, you're a pizza a week now. Exactly. Practically healthy. It's a vegetable. <laughs> <laughs> Practically healthy. <laughs> Yeah, I think the food pyramid actually has pepperoni as, like, a vegetable. Look. How? <laughs> food, uh, food pyramids are a thing of the past. What you want is a food circle. And then directly at the center is pepperoni. And then preferably all over the rest of it, using the top of a layer of cheese. It'd be very neglectful if it was just one pepperoni. <laughs> Desperate times. Exactly. You're into proper uh, no pizza with left beef territory there. <laughs> <laughs> I used to work at a pizza place, and I always wanted to do that. <laughs> honestly, honestly, guys, we don't even have to talk comics. Like that's what we do on the show. We don't have to. We could literally just talk about pizza if you guys want. We <laughs> All right, welcome back to the Pizza Pals. Hell yeah, <laughs> hell yeah! This is just basically a prolonged episode of the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> that's worryingly accurate, I reckon. Uh, neither of us does machines, though. So uh, you know, you do our internet. <laughs> Be careful with your phrasing there. Based off how you guys banter, what, how, what is your collaborative process like when you work together? Uh, like this on paper, kind of. <laughs> it, it varies slightly, at least slightly project to project. We, we don't ever quite work the same as it goes on, like, it is since is a continually evolving thing. So, I mean, with crowded, what we're doing is the pair of us sit down and we work out like the choreography of the page. So we break up the actual panels and work out like what you know what's big, what's small moments. So like and try and get a, if we, we need to add some extra little moments. Yeah. So we like we work together and get the um, the actual just panel layouts for the, the page sorted. Then. Uh, I go in and find out what sort of angles and body language would go in. And I do that on the computer. Um, so it's like a really rough layout type thing, but with a bit tightened up body language so that when I print it off in very pale blue um, ink, then I can pencil over it and put in the details and then I pass it on to you so you can ink it yeah, huh. and make it look like it's actually been done on purpose. Yeah, so there, there's a lot of you know there's there's a lot of back and forth at every stage of the uh, every stage of the process. It's pretty it's pretty symbiotic relationship altogether. There's a lot of me posing you so that I can get a 
a reference photo. I yeah. I should probably delete stuff from my phone again soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, with things like that, it's been, we've got a very expanding, um, very expanding uh, prop gallery. So we've got um, got a lot of toy guns. Lo- lots of different kind of at least semi-accurate looking plastic guns. A um, couple of wooden samurai swords. From our, from our first gig, we actually have a Chinese longbow. But we never actually used it. Once. Once? Yeah, we used it once. But oh. it's still cool to say we've got it. So, so when you, you used it just, the, like, did you shoot it multiple times? Or did you shoot it once and something terrible happened and that, that was enough? No, we just thought the character would be using it a lot more often. <laughs> yeah. This is... It was a slight problem because you know we um, we were introduced to the character. Uh, it was um, the uh, um, it was character Raven from Jeremy Whitley's uh, Princeless series. So she was the Black Arrow. And her and main so, weapon was meant to be a bow and arrow. So th- like that was um, so we we did the um, the first you know the arc introducing her in the main Princeless book, and then we were like, and then Jeremy uh, said, would we be interested in doing a spin-off book? And like, oh sure. And so we thought, right, well we better get a, a bow for a reference just in case because. Like, you know, Black Arrow, there's going to be a lot of archery. And then there and wasn't, wasn't much. much so, <laughs> so we have a longbow now. That's 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 all really interesting. Uh, but I am noticing that you sort of dodged the question. Who did you murder? And <laughs> are you out to do it again? I don't think we've ever actually shot the arrows. <laughs> so we've got this thing we've never used. Yeah. In as a, As its main purpose. Yeah, I mean, you know, it made uh, like three really beautiful looking accurate panels. Yeah. (laughs) It sounds like the solution is to write a book about an archer now. Or or a more likely solution is to sell it for more pizza, frankly. I I, I don't know how the barter system works over there, but I'm not sure the local pizza place would take uh, (laughs) a long go. In in the United States, which shouldn't be to any surprise, uh, hand weapons actually are one to one ratio for pizza over here because of how common both are. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I've eaten some pizza over there. I'd say both are probably equally hazardous to health as well. So, <laughs> yeah, that explains right, those a lot. are fighting words. <laughs> oh, now you got Pete going. Um, we were very far away, so we'll see you coming. <laughs> and they're the ones who have the uh, the bow and arrow, so uh, they could shoot me from really far away. Well, we'll light one uh, one lamp if they come by sea. We'll light two lamps if they come by land, and we'll light three if they come by land and sea. <laughs> I mean, you don't necessarily even have to be accurate because he's going to be on his way for a long time. So <laughs> you've got some shots. I think there was one time when we were playing game of D and D, and a character used a longbow and still managed to shoot themselves through the foot. That's about our level of skill, so I wouldn't worry too much. <laughs> that facial expression makes it seem like that's happened. Oh, don't even get me started. Ted's had a numerous near-death experiences, so adding a longbow in probably is not a great idea. What kind of near-death experiences? That's my question. Falling off ladders, nearly breaking his neck on pile of logs. Um, you had a ton of no, radiators land a, on you. It's only a quarter ton. Still <laughs> <laughs> a lot of radiator. <laughs> Well, yeah, you know, um, asphyxiation, drowning, the usual. Wow. So you have like nine lives then? I think I'm down to four. Maybe you're Captain Scarlet? <laughs> Fair enough. 
so you guys started out with Princeless, right? You mentioned it before. Yes. What, what was your foray in the comics actually like, and uh, how challenging was it for you to break into it? Um, well, we kind of broke in by accident. It was embarrassingly easy. Like, a lot of people <laughs> work at this, and we lucked our way in. Because Jeremy, um, the third volume of Princeless, the artists had kind of um, dropped out for uh, personal reasons, and so it was really, really behind so he's kind of desperately post post up on Tumblr, and Ted saw it and said, "We should try for that." And so, and we got the gig, and that was it. So, yeah. that, that, that was what was re- what was more challenging than getting the job was the fact that we'd never worked together before then. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was the first time we'd. Other than um, when your uni project um, kind of. Um, got broken on yeah. the computer. I helped you color it in because it yeah. was like a really short notice. But so. yeah, like that, that was the first time we ever like collaborated on line art for was Princess. So how long have you two known each other then? Um, S- uh, six eight, years? No, not six years. We've been together six years. Uh, Seven eight, years then. Eight, I think. Um, a while. <laughs> <laughs> how did last? I think it was linear. Who can tell? How did working together actually impact your relationship? Like, at first, did it, like, put a strain on it? Like, now you're symbiotic, like you said, but, like, were, were there growing pains? Um, probably not as many yeah. as you'd expect. It was mostly fine, honestly. Like, um, we spent a ridiculous amount of time together anyway because we're not healthy people mentally. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, is like, no, it, it was fine, honestly. Um, there, some days are always harder than others. Oh yeah, we can definitely get on each other's nerves. Yeah, but it didn't change the overall structure of things because it was no. just partly because we both wanted to make comics and we like we'd been coming to the realization because we tried getting some work like tried doing some illustration jobs like solo each of us and neither of us were great at it and so we came, were coming to the realization that like if we were going to get a job in comics it was going to have to be working together. So it's like a permanent three, three-leg three race for you two, where two of your legs are tied together. Yeah, that's yeah. Pretty, pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah. Have you guys been fans of comics your entire lives? I hadn't... Re- I'd, I'd read a couple before starting the university course where we met, which was for comics, but I originally wanted to do animation, but that's hard. Um, but yeah i've been like with comics as long as i can read uh, so i started out with um belgian comics like asterix and tintin which my dad had a huge collection of so literally before i could read that was what i was looking at and then um i first got onto american comics unsurprisingly because of x-men the animated series which (laughs) like I rewatched it recently, like a couple of years ago, and it was so incoherent. I don't know how it made me want more. But <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> in fairness, that's not too different from '90s X-Men comics, though. No, it was quite an easy transition in <laughs> because living in the UK, like I, I didn't live at that time anywhere near an actual comic shop. So we what um, what we have over here is um, like outside of comic shops, just in um, like news agents, newsstand stuff. We have. Um, like digest things, so you get like a, a title called Wolverine and Gambit, which would be an issue of Wolverine and just an issue of X Men that Gambit was in, <laughs> or things like that. And so, like transitioning from 
watching these, the show to that wasn't very difficult because they were each as like completely non sequitur based as each other. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, then it was when I was 14, I think I actually finally found a comic store and that thus be- it became the life of Jake Peralta style crippling debt. <laughs> hey, just out of curiosity, where did you guys, uh, you said you did a comics program together. Where did you do that? North Wales. It's a, a, oh, okay. a bad town called... Um, Don't say that! Yeah, it, was, it was a bad town called Wrexham with a an, you know, an okay university which happened to encompass a great art school. Wait, I'm sorry. I, I literally heard you say rectum? Wrexham. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you... You're not wrong. <laughs> it was an, an unhealthy one, for sure. Yeah, that, that's pretty accurate. Everything was grey, including the people. Oh, no. Oh, it was like an alien town. Mm. Kinda. <laughs> yeah, I went to uh, the University of Dundee uh, and got my master's in at their program. Cool. Yeah, my, my first degree was um, at Durham, so not that far away. Oh, boy, that means you guys are rivals. <laughs> Guess that means I have to kill you in old old style, you know, American rivalry fashion, you know? Oh, I kind of need him. <laughs> I mean, they have the bow and arrow. Like, again, they they, <laughs> they have the advantage. And apparently a whole other arsenal of weapons. Yeah, but they're all made of plastic, so I wouldn't worry too much. I'm also, I'm also on the other side of the world, so I've got the, you know, I've got the, the long game planned. If you get a box of kiwis, don't eat them. <laughs> <laughs> Is your house booby-trapped, like, in Home Alone with all those plastic weapons? I had a real question, but I actually really want to know that first. <laughs> no, they're in, they're in an untidy stack in the, uh, in the studio. So they might be booby-trapped for us, because we do have a tendency to trip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're more a threat to us than anyone else. Yeah. That's that's commentary on, on owning a personal weapon, I suppose. Um... <laughs> Uh, what's what's uh, what's your working relationship like with uh, Sabella? He's a friend of the show. He's a personal fan of mine. We've we're very close now as as a fa- <laughs> as a matter of him being on the show. So, uh, what's your working rela- relationship like with him? I'd say it's really good. Yeah, it's it's been fantastic. Honestly, like he's really yeah he's really communicative. So it's it's been great. Like. Um, He's been really open to the idea of us pitching in on ideas and concepts, which has been fantastic. He also doesn't mind us messing about with panels, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, because like um, the uh, the average panel count on a page is probably somewhere between like seven or eight, um, but like the original scripting was about a five panel average for issues one and two, at least. Yeah, yeah. So, but he's like been really really cool about just letting us do whatever we feel works best. That's really exciting. Yeah. Um, it, it was great. Like from the first time we talked to him, we knew that he'd be a good person to work with. Oh yeah. So uh, how did you get connected with him in the first place? Was it our editor? Yes. Yeah, the, the, the lady who's editing, Juliet, um, uh, she, like, she started out as just being a mutual friend of us and Chris. And, um, we just finished up um, our last Captain Marvel issue, um, which, uh, you know, so we were kind of, you know, short, short on work and just said to her, you know, if you know anyone who, who has anything. And coincidentally, that same week, Chris had also said to her, I've got a load of pitches and don't know where to find artists. 
So we had a long Skype conversation with him, went through a couple of five or six different like pitches that he had. We want that one. We want that one. We can make that funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, I mean, you've seen at least one of the other pitches come out already, which is uh, Cold War, Cold War um, with fucking fantastic art mm. by Hayden Sherman. I actually just read that. It yeah. Really good. Mm. Yeah. Hayden's done an amazing job on that. Like, I'm really glad we turned that down because we could never have been no, that. We'd be. never have done it as well no. as that. Like, no, it's... I think we're too goofy for that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the Crowded is getting slightly more slapsticky as we go on. <laughs> I have a lot of respect for that. <laughs> Can you guys sort of give us the pitch for Crowded? Talk to us about, you know, what it's about and how you've added your sensibilities to it. Yeah, I mean, like, so the basic pitch for anyone who didn't hear the, um, the announcement is five minutes in the future, um, American society has been like gently turned upside down by the advent of a site called Reaper, which offers kickstarting for hitmen. So, you know, um, the lady down the street uh, hassles you because you um, put your garbage out in the wrong bin. Start a Reaper. The, your boss, um, you, you know, your boss gets on you because uh, the work wasn't quite up to standard. You can start a Reaper. And then if, uh, if enough people... Kick, if at least one other person kicks in, the Reaper campaign goes live, and from there, um, it can build in. Uh, you know, anybody can chip in, and whoever claims the kill gets the reward, whatever it turns out to be. But after uh, after thirty days, just like a Kickstarter, however, whatever the pledge level, if the kill isn't filled, then nobody, you know, nobody gets nothing, and all the pledges get uh, get re- refunded. And so, you're not allowed to kill that person, otherwise it's just murder. Yeah. So in um, in this world, then you've got um, this uh, ab- yeah abrasive but charming girl named Charlie. Um, Who's basically a nobody. Yeah, she's a nobody who wakes up one day to find a million dollar bounty on her head with no clue why. Now, no uh, no bodyguard that she reaches out to will touch her, apart from one, the uh, the lowest rated bodyguard she can find on the defender. Um, Vita Slatter, who is distant, grouchy, and very painfully good at her job. So now, Vita has 30 days to keep Charlie alive. And find out why she's got such a big bounty on her head. And that sums up, right? Yeah, I'd say that's, that's pretty much the summary of the book. That sounds incredibly fun, actually. I hope so. We, we hope so. Like, the first three issues... So we finished the first two. We're working on the third now, and they're all they are all really really enjoyable. Chris has said that uh, it's a bit um, sillier and funnier than he first expected it to be. <laughs> so you asking how we added our sensibilities to that? We have a lot of daft expressions and body language. Yeah, and, and like uh, when, when we mentioned that we've added a lot to the panel count, quite a lot of that was comedy timing. Yeah, comedy places. timing, reaction beat type stuff. So, but yeah, like it's, we're trying to make sure it really doesn't feel like any other book out there at the moment. What was it that <clears throat> excited you about the pitch? Um, Kickstarter for killers. Yeah. And <laughs> also, <laughs> that just seemed fun. You know, you've, you've got, um, Road trip. you've got, uh, you know, these two very, very different women in a literal life or death road trip against 
uh, you know, everybody against absolutely everybody in in a, in a, a version of America that's very similar to what we have now, but you know, you can see it happening possibly yeah, in the future. Exactly, it's it's is technically very different, but you know, you could easily see it coming true, all of it, and so that was one of the things that that really appealed. The idea that after doing pirates and superheroes from all of our career to date, we're finally doing something that, like, if we're all very unlucky, this could come true in five years' time. We better do a good job on the book then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a it chilling kinda, thought. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of, of an episode of, like, Black Mirror, you know? like Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, it's, yeah, definitely similar to that, only, um, yeah, it's got a lot more room to breathe. So, um because while I love Black Mirror, then like some of those concepts could maybe you know stretch out a bit further if you know, and yeah, uh, we've got enough we've got enough character work um, going on to to balance the uh, the plot development. So it's yeah, it, it's feeling nicely rounded so far. Is there a, is there any plan for it to be an ongoing or is it a mini? How, what's what's that looking like so far? Um, we don't know exactly how long it's going to go on for, but it's going to be longer than what you class as a mini. Right? Yeah, I mean, like our dream goal is somewhere between twenty five thirty issues, based on conversations we've had so far. Now, if it, so, you know, money willing, as long as it sells well enough. We're we're on yeah we're riding it to the end so hopefully that's where we'll get to like who knows it may end up being a bit shorter or a bit longer depending on how things shake out but yeah that's the um, that's the the current aim like yeah so uh, we want to do it yeah we want to get it all done exactly and the idea of you know having a thirty issue book under our belts would be just wonderful the fact that it's so unique and, and this is kind of what uh, we love about image uh, is that you can't really find anything like that anywhere else. There's nothing quite like that out. And so I think um, beyond the pedigree of like Sabella, whose name is, is definitely been building. And I do want to just, you know, put this out there. It's been building ever since he did our show. Uh, you know, we, we do, you know, we do like to say we, we take credit for that. Um, but, uh, you know, he's been on the rise and you guys, you're both amazing. Uh, I think that this, this has a real shot. Um, and, and again, coming out through image who really give these kind of quirky off the beaten path books opportunities to succeed. It sounds like, you know, there's a real chance here. Oh yeah. Like, um, I mean, yeah, image have been very excited about this. So that they've been, I mean, we don't have many direct dealings with them, but they've been super supportive so far from, you know, inviting Chris to um, announce it at the expo to printing up those gorgeous 11 by 17 posters at the show. Well, we knew they, knew, we knew they must be a bit excited because it was an incredibly short turnaround for the pitch. Yeah, 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 it was. It's true. Um, the, the, the pitch was picked up very quickly, which... We thought, we thought we'd have to worry a lot longer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, do they like it? Oh, oh yeah, okay. But, but then, in, of course, in typical fashion, it became, 
Wait, that was too fast. What's going on? <laughs> We're not paranoid. <laughs> so I, I know you said that you haven't had a lot of like direct dealings with them, but um, do you have like anything to comment on how it's been different than your dealings with Marvel? Well, I mean, like with Marvel, at Marvel, our, our point of contact was our editor. Um, so you know, they were the face of the company as far as we were concerned. Dealing with um, dealing with the editors was dealing with Marvel, uh, but we don't really deal with Image at all. Um, we just mostly just talk to our team, and then just for simplicity's sake, Chris is the one who deals with Image because you know it just keeps things streamlined. Mm. So yeah, from that point of view, it is quite different because when we were working with Marvel, we had direct direct contact with Marvel, but not not usually very much with the rest of the team. Yeah, but it, most communication would go through the editors. So it's kind of the the inverse here, where we don't have much at all to do with the company, but are talking to the team multiple times a week. And this is also, you know, an original sort of collaborative effort, whereas you guys were just kind of filling in, you know, with Marvel at the time. Definitely feel more ownership over the whole job. Yeah. So, like, you know, the fill-in work was undeniably a whole lot of fun. And mm. if they ask us in the future when we're free, then we're not going to say no at all, because it was, it was great. Um, but it both in terms of like actual ownership and the fact that we're committing to like a long run on this means we can get more of a rapport with the characters and feel like we're doing a better job. That's awesome. Uh, I, I really wanted to get my hands on one of those, uh, one of those ash cans just because I, like, I really want to, I really want to get, you know, a feel for this book before it drops. Chris is going to be putting up up on his site or he might've done it already. Because he di- didn't quite sell for all the stock at oh. So if you check that out later today, they, they might be up on there, I think. If not, we'll just have to I'll send, send him an email. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he was definitely planning on selling the rest of them online. Well, I mean, if the big, if the book becomes huge, you know, I'm going to want to have it because then, you know, it might be valuable. The money. Exactly. There you go. Just saying, I mean, he blew up right after he was on our show. I think, you know, who knows, guys, where you're going to be in another six months. Probably still in the same pit drawing the same book. But, you know, that, <laughs> honestly, that's the best case scenario for us at this point. I mean, yeah, I'm uh, I'm really surprised that, you know, he, he let you come away from the desk to, you know, to do this interview. It must it must have something to do with us. Um, you know, <laughs> Me uh, specifically. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, um, He's a hard task, a taskmaster, but he'll let us have time off for, you know, special occasions. And pizza. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> we uh, we love conventions. You know, we, we, we live in New York. Well, we don't live in New York. I live in New York. And the other guys, except for Kale, live, you know, close. Uh, so we love New York Comic Con and, you know, different things like that. So is there any opportunity or plan for you guys to maybe come to america do the convention circuit anything like that uh not, not this currently. year not this year like we 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 do really want to come back we've been to oh, yeah, been, been to, to uh, nycc once and loved it mm. so best mac and cheese down outside the convention it was fantastic oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was the highlight yeah quite quite besides the, the food it's just like the experience was fantastic Oh yeah, American conventions in general we love. We we would really like to do some, but 
at, um, at the moment, basically all, all of our resources, including money, are getting ploughed into making sure the book gets made. So this year we're doing just one domestic con and then like if the book starts doing really well then they will be invited hey yeah or at the very least like you know if the book starts doing well we'll have more reason and incentive to like come abroad so definitely if we uh, if we do get to that point then new york would be one of the uh, definitely one like the, the main target really yeah we'll, we'll see what kind of clout we can pull here <laughs> <laughs> do you guys do thought bubble Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's my that's my favorite UK con for sure. Oh yeah. That's that's really the only one we we do. Yeah. Um basically just because like a lot some a lot of the others like you know are good but just never quite being convenient. But thought bubble's always good enough that we have made the time for it. Mm. So, yeah. So we haven't tabled there for a couple of years just cuz we haven't really had anything to put out. No. Because, like, you know, especially because um, the last year, especially then. Um, we Mar- sent off the pitch, hadn't we? Yeah. But, um, but we didn't really have any product. No, because um, Marvel comps can sometimes be a bit erratic. So uh, we just didn't have uh, anything really worth selling. I mean, we had original art, but it, it kind of felt a bit disingenuous because one of the reasons Thought Bubble is such a good convention is because it's curated. They, like, yeah. they. Yeah. Um, so it's not a first come first served basis for tables. You apply on your on the basis of your um, like your comics uh, that you're going to be bringing to sell, basically. Mm. And so, since we didn't have any comics to sell, we thought it'd be uh, taking a space from someone who would be more deserving based on the criteria. Sure, that's fair. Yeah, but this year we're going back because Crowded will be out. We should have at least a couple of issues. Yeah, like, sh- should be the first two issues out by the time Thought Bubble comes out, so, uh, comes around. So, um, we'll actually have things this year, which would be great. And something yeah, else people might actually be interested in, so, yay! <laughs> did you guys, did you guys get to attend last year? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we went there, because... Oh, you did, yeah. okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, um, this, uh, it looks like they're doing the same again, where it's kind of spread out over the, the center of, uh, uh, Leeds, um... And that was that was a really cool format. I'm really looking forward to doing that again. Yeah, um, that's that's how European towns. Oh yeah, are. yeah. I've, I've been to the Angoulême Festival a couple of times, and that's just so fantastic. Um, Angoulême is basically like a really old um, medieval town at the top of a small hill, with kind of the modern bit of it all around it. But then the entire top, the entire top of this hill gets taken over by the show. So there's they erect tents everywhere and they erect tents everywhere and the whole town is comics themed anyway with graffiti and all of that and the seriously world class comics museum which yeah yeah is worth the pilgrimage alone if you if, if you can find it oh it's phenomenal like they've got um, you you know you could walk around and see uh, pages for, for by Chris Ware. Then instantly go off to John Buscema, um, off to um, classic Europeans like um, Hugo Pratt. Then uh, find incredible uh, manga pages as well. They they cover the entire world's comics output, and pretty much they've they've done a, a decent job of 
historical pages as well as like kind of you know more recent things. So it's yeah, I, I can't recommend it enough if you ever have the time and money to be in France. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> We are uh, really excited for Crowded. Uh, I'm personally looking forward to it very, very much. Uh, this summer, it's going to be dropping. That's all we. That's all we know right now, right? Just this summer. Um, cause we're working on the third issue at the moment, and so as soon as third issue is done, then it'll go out for solicits. Okay. So, well, hmm. well I mean, it's not as soon as because it'll be the, the month after that. Because um, that's when it'll go to previews, and so then, so like based on <laughs> our working moment, we're aiming for May previews. Okay. Yes, uh, the third issue is very full of stuff, so that's <laughs> <And> fun. <laughs> we're, like, yeah, cause it, it's two pages longer than normal. Because um, we're, we're normally doing a twenty-four page issue, this one's clocking in at twenty-six. Wow! And sometime after we talk to you guys, we're going to have a call with Chris about the possibility of maybe extending it two more pages. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. So we don't know if that's going to happen, but it, it, I mean, it's definitely going to be a big one regardless. Awesome. Yeah. So we're, we're looking forward to that. And uh, it sounds like you guys are putting a lot of effort into it because clearly you're masochists and want to do more work. Uh, <laughs> so that's awesome. It, it's all worth it because we, all we want all we want is for this book to be the best we can possibly make it. And if that means adding in extra panels on a page or extra pages in an issue, then, you know, that's the job, ultimately. The yeah. thing is, we actually have a reason for putting in more panels, because, um, well, I'm speaking for myself personally, I have comprehension issues when it comes to reading stuff, so I always want to make sure that whatever we're making is definitely easily readable and very clear what's happening. Because I've read some comic books before, and it's like, what the, what the, what is going on on this page? It's insane. So, um, so yeah, like we've we've got points where like most of the pages are seven or eight panels, but we've strived to make sure that they're all that you could read it if it was your first comic. That's awesome. I mean, that's a I think that's a really um, that's a great attitude to go into it with because you know that's something that we've definitely like dinged a lot of books for where it's frustrating that even if the art is good, where like I have to, if I have to struggle to understand what's happening, like that's definitely that impacts your experience as a reader and like takes you out of the flow of the story. So it's great to hear that you guys are really, really putting in a lot of thought into that and, um, and going that extra mile. Oh yeah. Cause it's very different to like just explaining things all to your audience. It's not the same type of thing as just spoon feeding like the story. It's like just making sure that what you're wanting to be read is easily readable. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. So no matter what the size of the panel, no matter how many panels on the page, you should be able to look at any of them and know exactly what's happening without having to think too much. Is the end. <laughs> right. Well, I, and it's funny though, because like we laugh because we all like, you know, have read comics, but I think like you said, you wanted it to be a book that's easy for people to pick up as their first. And I feel like that's the thing a lot of people struggle with is like, what, how do I follow the panels? You know, like where am I supposed to be looking at what point? And, um, I, I find a lot of new readers struggle with that. So, and, and I, I like that's something I pay attention to a lot is like panel layout and like especially inventive panel layout. So I'm really excited for issue number three. <laughs> well, because we do have, try to have quite inventive panel layouts. We're hoping that we haven't gone too crazy and it's still instinctive how you meant to read it. 
and the way we've done yeah. that. I mean, the the, the, ha- the the handy thing about the fact that we work in the same room and our working process is batting things backwards and forwards, there's a lot of time for quality control, mm. which helps. Because we've got, like, you know, four distinct layers of, of um, process before mm. it gets emailed off to the team. Mm. So that gives us a long, a lot of time to go, oh, fuck, this looks terrible. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sorry, am I allowed to swear? Oh, oh. yeah, no, oh, yeah. please do. Absolutely. This is a pirate ship. Fuck yeah. <laughs> um, we like to play a game with our guests, but before we do, I want to ask you one last question here. Uh, I was on Yahoo Answers before this, and I figured you could help a random person here with a problem they're having by offering some advice. Uh, this this person, Sam, asks, how can I safely look at a picture of the sun? Draw it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first off, like, you know, safety first. So I would say, like, maybe some safety goggles with um, polarized tint. Because, like, you know, no matter what he's printing it on, we want to be careful. Um, right. I'd say maybe like a pair of oven mitts, so that if he's picking up the picture, doesn't there's no paper mm. cuts. Well, it might be really hot. Too. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, safety first. So honestly, I would suggest that the safest way would probably be have someone else do it and describe it to you. <laughs> <laughs> Sam from 2013, if you're listening, there you have it. There's the best advice you're going to get for this. Oh, that's awesome. So, um, before we play the game, where can people find you guys if they want to know more about Crowded or just more about you guys and your creative process and maybe even pick up some art? Oh, we've got the website. Yeah, so our website is um, Brandt and Stein, that's all in words, no uh, no um, symbols, dot com. Um, and that's got links to our Twitters and Tumblers in on the website. Yeah, so- Um so it's also got the, the shop. Um, we've currently got a lot of um, a lot of uh, pages from our champions, Mighty Captain Marvel and Steve Rogers oh, and issues. Oh, yeah. We've also got our um, the, the art from our uh, Bitch Planet shorts as well, which are all up for sale. Reasonable prices. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so, um, uh, I mean, the tumblers are both quite neglected. The, the Twitters yeah. are... Um, <laughs> You know, the Twitter's where we live online if we do. And so I'm 10 underscore bandits on uh, on Twitter. Um, and your um, Rosie Tinted Specs. It's R-O-S-Y Tinted Specs. Yeah. So you awesome. will get more from him than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you have enjoyed this uh, incredible banter, then you can definitely go on to Twitter and check out more from uh, these two. So we're going to play the game we always play whenever we have a guest. So, Pete, why don't you take it away? I'm excited. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so yeah, so we like to play uh, a little game called uh, Apples and Origins whenever we have a guest. And essentially what we're going to do is um, Kale's going to put a minute on the clock. And uh, we're going to go kind of in a circle, like round robin style, and develop a pitch for a comic. 
Um, so it, we kind of just like build it step by step and it, it, you can decide whatever you want about it. So like if we start building a character, but then you decide you have an idea for the villain, go for it. And we can kind of flesh out the story that way. And, um, then at the end, uh, we have a round where each of us has to come up with a name for the comic that we just came up with. And then we vote on who came up with the best name, but you're not allowed to vote for yourself. Okay. So, uh, you good on all the rules? Yep. I think so. All right, cool. All right, Kale, you want to put a minute on the clock? I'm ready. Okay, so um, we always have the guests start first, but since there's two of you, who wants to take that honor? Me, all right. I've been volunteering. <laughs> 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 all right, cool. Um, then, yeah, I guess we'll uh, we'll start there. Then we'll go Sean, Kale, Phil, me, Ro. Okay, so is it like, is it a once upon a timing, or are we like mad living, or... Uh, yeah, it's it's more like like you'd start with like the first detail that you want to build with, and then each of us kind of names one thing on top of it. So if you wanted to be like, okay, like the main character is a robot, right? Then Sean says, you know, he's got a laser gun, you know, and, and kind of go around in that way. Or he's black. That's that's usually where Sean goes with it. <laughs> yeah, use it, you son of a bitch. Well, I mean, yes, I can. Yes, I can. That's a, that's a you know, it's a thing. All right, yep, that, that all sounds, uh, sounds doable. All right. Let's do it. So, um, main character... No, actually, no, I'm going to go with the setting. Um, haunted Museum. All right. Okay, here we go. The museum is haunted by the uh, black caretaker who died protecting it from an alien invasion. The museum itself is black. <laughs> uh, it's a pastry show. It's a pastry museum. <laughs> he has a sidekick that's a ghost dog. The ghost dog keeps trying to eat the pastries. Uh, but there's a new hire in the uh, the museum. Whose name is Jeeves. And the the central conflict is is trying to keep the, uh, the, the, the pastry museum from being on fire because that's why everything is black. Jeeves is played by Jeff Goldblum. All right, that's it. <laughs> this is a comic. And he's played by Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> <laughs> How the hell does that work? In the same way that Ultimate Nick Fury was Sam Jackson well before it was a movie. <laughs> but he wasn't played by Nick Fury. Nick Fury or Sam Jackson wasn't hanging around have to work emoting the script and they were just <laughs> drawing him. Is it, like is it, you could just record or have Jeff Goldblum record all the dialogue and everybody just gets a flash drive with the comics. <laughs> Yeah, there's like a Spotify playlist of <laughs> Jeff Goldblum's dialogue. Oh, better yet, like you know those um, those uh, mu- uh, greeting cards that play music when you open them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you get more Jeff Goldblum dialogue? That's not uh, bad. Uh, uh, That's not bad. Uh, happy birthday. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. I kind of like that. <laughs> you know, I'm coming around on this Jeff Goldblum thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know you guys well, will. Maybe not Jeff Goldblum specifically. <laughs> I mean, well, you're wrong. But. Um, well, um, um, uh, uh, life um, uh, finds a way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's compile all those things. So it takes place in a haunted museum, which is haunted by the black caretaker who died protecting it from aliens, which we never even touched on the aliens again. <laughs> but so that's a thing. Um, I'm kind of happier that we didn't, honestly. <laughs> it's just set it's just set in a world where it's the distant future, alien invasions are a regular occurrence. They're attacking pastry museums every day. Yeah. It's a thing that happened. Only in New York. <laughs> anyway. Wait, who said it was in New York? 
<laughs> you, you did just now. Um, so the it's a pastry museum. He's got a ghost sidekick dog. There's a new caretaker whose name is Jeeves and is played by Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> and the primary oh, and the dog keeps trying to eat the pastries. But the primary conflict is what was it, Kale? Uh, keeping the uh, pastry museum from uh, being on fire. Oh, right, because it's also black. <laughs> Got it. All right, so now let's, like, you know, we'll, we'll each take a, a couple seconds, try to come up with a, a title for this um, this ghost story, and uh, if you want to call it that, I guess, and uh, and then we'll have to vote on the best one. idea. Well, I don't have any at the moment. <laughs> yeah, me neither. You're, you're one idea ahead of me. <laughs> the Haunted Danish. <laughs> That's your idea, Phil? Yep. All right. All right. Mine's Pastry Geist. <laughs> oh, that's really good. I like Damn. that one. Oh. <laughs> that's the one to beat right now. That's like you took my haunted Danish and just stepped your heel into it and twisted. This is a toughie. Literally, I can't get off of Pastry Geist. That's really good. It's really good. I've got, I've got, I've, I've got one. Cuckoo Crumpets. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> bizarre, b- bizarre biscuits. Oh, that's better. Um, <laughs> you, all right, we'll go with that one. <laughs> did you just type in like a, a word generator or something? Uh, I second uh-huh. on Jeeves and Booster. Jeeves <laughs> and Booster. <laughs> that's pretty good, actually. I do like that one too. Can I use that one? Because I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you guys are the talent. My my favorite part about this game is the the dead air, as everybody thinks about. <laughs> well, this is what we get in post. It's fine. Well, this is where I'm shining because like ninety percent of my conversation is punning. Yeah, <laughs> you're in your wheelhouse right now. Oh yeah. The worst part is the pressure. Yeah, it's like I want to come up with something good. I don't want to just do a throwaway one so I can lose. But you know Sta- what? Stage fright. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you can't win them all. So um, how about cookies and scream? <laughs> all right, that's a good one. That's a good one. Wow. I feel like you guys pre-planned the setting here so you can come up with a good title. <laughs> I've got mine. I've got mine. It's it's not a winner, but I'm going to it's 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 Rocky Road. Yeah, you're yeah, right. It's not a winner. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's it's bad. bad. Pastry guys, let's let's just move on. It's Pastry Geist. Yeah. 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 Un- unquestionably. No vote. I don't think there needs uh, to be please. a vote. Yeah. I mean, that's my <laughs> vote. So All right, that's my vote too. So there we go. That's four. <laughs> Yay! So I do want to say that you are the first guest to win this game in several attempts. <laughs> uh, we've had on many, many guests over the last few months, and they have all failed. Uh, and they're in the loser's bracket. You are <laughs> in the winner's bracket. So hopefully, Ro, we can bring you back and you can compete for the no prize Uh Championship. Along with Christopher Sabella, who I believe won as well. Yeah. Yeah. But Ted. Yep. I'm I'm going home empty handed. <laughs> you you're going into the losers bracket. There's there's some uh there's some powerful contenders there though. Well who's who's in the losers bracket? We got Ryan Sullivan, we got Dirk Manning. Dirk Manning. So I mean, you know Ryan Katie's there too, isn't he? He is also yes. there, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. The, okay, I'm in I'm in good company. I can I can yeah, accept yeah. that. So hopefully we can we can somehow get all you forces together to figure out who you know who's going to take the cake there and but, who's uh, the ultimate loser? Who's the ultimate loser? <laughs> <laughs> Not a good shot being the best loser. 
<laughs> Hang on. Is, that the, is the best loser the one who comes first among the losers, or who is the loser of the losers? Whichever one makes you feel better. Yeah, we'll run with that. Wait until the dust settles, and then we'll decide. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, you had the second best uh, name, so you kind of are actually the best loser. Yeah, by far. Second comes right after first. So we normally would ask, we would normally just go and do Pals Pulls, which is a segment where we just kind of talk about the books that are coming out this week that we're most excited about. But I do want to give you guys the opportunity to tell us what books you're reading. What books are you interested in these days? Ooh, well, I mean, we don't have a lot of time for monthly comics generally. <laughs> sure. The thing that I've, the, the thing I've loved the most recently was um, The Young Animal Milk Wars. Mm. Also, I have a sort of tenuous relationship with the young animal in terms of like some of them really work for me, some don't. I absolutely adore Doom Patrol. Mm. Milk Wars was absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, that that was uh, probably the most exciting thing I've read recently. Although, um, issue was it forty two of Superman that just came out um, with Boyzaro in that was rather fun. <laughs> I didn't catch that one, but uh, um, it's, it's, they've um, they've just started a uh, the, the um, I think it might be the last storyline with um, Tomasi and Gleason, and it's um, dealing with uh, Bizarro World. They did a, a really really great opening sequence in it, where which compl- which was completely mirrored the Rebirth number one issue of Superman, but from Bizarro like with, but entirely with Bizarro. That's cool. So it was all the same sort of iconography but all slightly wrong and um, with a fantastic bizarro voiceover in it. And it ended with, um, with Bizarro's son, Boizarro breaking over into uh, regular earth. So that was, I mean, it was, you know, exactly what the Tomasi and Gleason Superman's been like really strongly entertaining. That does sound fun. Boizarro is, that's incredible. Mm. It was, yeah, genius. (laughs) Me am think that terrible. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, as for our pals pulls, uh, Phil and I both chose Mr. Miracle number seven. Uh, do, was there anything you even need to say about it? Tom King, Mitch Derads, it's the good shit, baby. It's been so good. Uh, we didn't get to talk about the last issue on the air, but uh, we'll try to try to talk about this one because... Uh, the last one was really, really good, and I, I can't wait to see how this thing is going to wrap. And the fact that there's still five more issues to go is crazy. I keep forgetting that it's a 12. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we also chose Green Lantern Earth 1. Finally, it's out. It's coming out, I should say. Um, Gabriel Hardman, Karina Becko, uh, another power couple in comics. I can't wait to see what they do with this one. So I'm super excited. It's a pretty looking book, let me tell you. Yeah, that preview looks fantastic. Doesn't it? Yeah. So are you guys, is this something that you think you would you would actually check out? I'm planning to. Like, I mean, again, it, comics reading for us is quite uh, limited on time, but uh, yeah. I barely read anything. <laughs> no, so. but I'm definitely <laughs> checking it out at some point this year. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Um, we're we're definitely gonna have to do something with that book when it comes out because uh, that's that's gonna be a great one. Before we jump into the the news portion, I did want to do our plugs because that's a thing on the show. Uh, 
<laughs> one hour into the show. <laughs> if you like uh, high quality productions like this one, uh, there are plenty of places uh, you can find us. We're on iTunes. Where we're a five star rated podcast. So we'd love it if you contribute to that. Uh, you can also hit us up on SoundCloud where you guys have been really great to us. Um, you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. We're also on social media at thecomicspals all over the place if you want to drop us a line there. And last but certainly not least, we are on YouTube uh, where we do break up the show for you guys each week with some highlights so that it makes it easier to get through this whole thing. So uh, make sure to check us out on there. Um, like, leave us a like. Subscribe to the channel and share this video with your friends to let them know that we're here and you like what we do. So, we're going to jump into the news. And probably the biggest blowout that we got this week was DC finally pulling back the curtain on Black Label, their newest imprint. Uh, we talked about the fact that there was an imprint coming. We talked about this way back in New York Comic Con. We finally got some news on what this is actually going to be. And who's going to be involved? Uh, and it's, I mean, it's massive. There's some really top-tier talent here. Uh, so currently what we know about it is that we're getting stories uh, that are going to star Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. Um, you know, separate stories. Um, and it's going to include talent the likes of Frank Miller, uh, John Romita Jr., um, Kelly Sue DeConnick, who's sort of making her first... Uh, return to DC Comics and Supergirl way back in 2011. Um, so uh, Greg Capullo and Scott Snyder, just a ton of top-tier talent. The first book that we're going to get is Superman Year One, uh, which is going to be a three-part series uh, by Frank Miller and John Romita Jr. Um, and uh, this is kind of in line with their, you know, Batman year one and, and what they've done with him. So they're just doing that with Superman here. Um, so that that's something that I think was already announced. And now we're just getting that confirmation. Um, we're also getting Wonder Woman uh, by Kelly Sue DeConnick and Phil Jimenez, which is super cool. Wonder Woman Historia. Uh, so that's an awesome team. Um, and they, they call it a Homeric epic. That explores the untold story of the Amazons and Queen Hippolyta's reign. It's going to be broken into three books. And it's going to cover the timeline from the birth of the Amazons to the day Steve Trevor arrived on Paradise Island. That's not the only Wonder Woman book we're getting. Because we're getting something called Wonder Woman Diana's Daughter. Which is uh, a working title. Um, that's going to be Greg Rucka writing that one. Which is awesome. Uh, big fan of Greg Rucka and what he does with Wonder Woman, so I can't wait to see him uh, continue that. No artist on this book yet, though, at least not announced. Um, the Other History of the DC Universe by John Ridley is something that we talked about months back as well, and now we know that that's going to be part of the Black Label imprint. Um, so that's, that's really cool. Uh, and that's the book that kind of takes a look at the DC Universe from the perspective of the minority uh, members of the DCU, so uh, that's something to look forward to. And then, of course, we've got some Batman. Uh, Batman Last Night on Earth is going to be Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo teaming up again for what they're calling the last Batman story ever told. Uh, so Batman wakes up in a strange dystopian future 
and the only thing he has for company is Joker's head in a jar. Uh, we talked about that back in NYCC <laughs> as well, so now we know that that's going to be a part of Black Label. And then the last announcement was Batman Damned, which is going to be the next collaboration between Brian Azzarello and Libra Mayo. Uh, Damned opens with the apparent murder of the Joker, forcing Batman to team up with John Constantine to hunt down a supernatural killer who may even be worse than the Joker himself. So those are the those are the announcements that we got. What do you guys think about that? Um, so I'm not necessarily like jazzed about every single one of these stories, but like overall about this initiative is something I'm really excited about. Um, this is something I've been barking that I wanted on this show for 72 episodes, right? Um, I think this is a great idea to be able to tell stories that are um, outside of continuity or like not concerned with mainline continuity. And um, that are, you know, solid because they have great creative teams, you know, but are accessible to uh, newer readers as well. And, um, you know, I, I think, like, the idea of, like, having a more adult um, imprint is something that, like, if it's used the right way, could lead to some really, like, good creative content. I, I can't help but notice you're glossing over the scariest part. There's someone out there that's... That's scarier than the Joker? Someone that treats crime like it's a joke? But worse? What, what is this? What are you What are you doing right now? Um, what is uh, this character? What do you call him? A person who takes the stories of comics literally. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it. Take, right. it. take it back to the workshop. Into the trash it goes. <laughs> I just can't get the image out of my head of castaway Batman with Wilson Joker head. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, yeah, the first thing that came to my mind was uh, Headlopper, but with Batman and the Joker. It, it also kind of sounds like Spider-Man Reign a little bit to me, where it's like, oh, dystopian, crazy Batman in the future. Yeah, that's that's a kind of common thing. Like, they've done it with, uh, they did it with Daredevil End of Days. They've done it. They've done that so many times. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, because Marvel had that whole the end line as well, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly, exactly. So we've seen this time and time again. I mean, we've seen it with Batman plenty of times, so it's not necessarily new. Uh, what is super interesting, though, about Last Night on Earth in particular is that this was originally uh, announced at New York Comic Con, and it was supposed to be a collaboration between Scott Snyder and Sean Murphy. And Murphy is no longer a part of the project. Now it's Greg Capullo. So the reason that's been given is that uh, Murphy Murphy and Scott go way back, right? Like they've worked so many times together. And they both felt like because White Knight just came out, right? Which was Sean Gordon Murphy's sort of definitive take on Batman. His, his story, his Batman story. Because that just came out, they didn't want to do another sort of you know, out of continuity Batman story that's that Murphy would be, you know, sort of lending himself to. And on top of that, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo have told so much of the Batman story. Why not tell the end? Yeah. Um, so that makes sense to me. I it, get that. It seems like the punctuation to their uh, four or five year uh, build up with medals right. now. And it's the end. The end. That's right. 
Because everything in comics eventually comes to an end. It's not just a perpetual motion. Right. And we're going to talk about that more <laughs> a little bit later. Uh, but any more thoughts about this Black Label imprint? Um, so curious about that Frank Miller Superman thing. Wonder if he's got anything left in the uh, the old veins there, the old creative juices. I mean, from what I understand, the the stuff at the end of uh, Master Race with Superman was actually very, very good. Uh, so I mean, we could, yeah, he could hit something new, you know, some uh, a cheery Frank Miller that we haven't seen in a very long time, if at all. The the thing that's most exciting me about the existence of um, Black Label is the idea that, like, if they're using like really top tier creators there, then it seems like the next logical step will be to, um, to you know, you because they've got so many pop up imprints at the moment, and they're killing all of them. Like all of them are doing really well, and so like it feels like if they've got all of those reliable things, that maybe what I'd like to see would be slightly more experimentation within the DCU itself, like bring in newer talent because Fresh blood. they can still give really great gigs to people who are established via things like Black Label, which allows them to not only handle the characters, but with much more free reign than they would normally have in the DCU. Right. Sounds like you're auditioning. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I'm auditioning. Like, (laughs) yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a great point. Uh, And it all, it almost seems like with all of these uh, pop-up imprints and things like that, that that's the place that top tier talent kind of want to be um, is working on those books where they kind of have free reign to do what they want. And so why not give an opportunity to a younger or not as well-established creator who could take Superman and run with it in the monthly format? That could, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, th- I think that'd be a really, a really good endpoint where, you know, where they've got all the imprints to retain as many like kind of top tier talents as they need, and use the DCU. Well, you could use it as effectively as a, a, pro- a mid level proving ground, and that would work really well. Yeah, I think this is a great opportunity for DC Comics to give a young up and comer like Brian Michael Bendis a shot at Superman. <laughs> well, and for that matter, I mean Kelly Sue DeConnick on Wonder Woman. Like, <clears throat> not that she's not connecting that with the the young, you know the young creator thing but like that's that's a no-brainer like that should have been done years ago yeah well you know she was on her own journey with bitch planet and, and sure sure else, sure so um, but but this is her first coming back and i wouldn't be surprised at all if a big reason why she decided to come back was this black label this opportunity to not have to work in the confines of the monthly grind the the bi-weekly grind actually with that title. sure yeah, right, exactly. And then, like, even so, to think that she got the opportunity probably to be like, you know, wh- what's the Wonder Woman story you want to tell, right? Like, and that's that's how you lock down people that, you know, um, already established like that is just be like, hey, like, we have this incredible, you know, vault of characters. Like, who do you want to work with? What do you want to do? You know, because who cares? It's its own sequestered thing. So it just has to be good. That's all that matters. And that's exciting, you know, being able to put together books that are just about the book and not about where is this book a month from now, two months from now, three months, you know, like it has a plan, it comes out, it's done. Yeah, exactly. So we won't get our first look at this black label until August, which uh, is going to be the Superman year one. 
that's way later than what was initially projected. But the fact that we're getting it this year, the fact that we're getting it, and there's probably going to be stuff to show at New York Comic Con, um, I'm really excited. So stay on the lookout for this, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking a lot more about these books as they roll out. Uh, so over in the film world, we got huge casting news uh, as Kristen Wiig will be playing Cheetah in Wonder Woman 2. I'm about and, it. I'm into am it. I the only one who's <laughs> like, who, I, I don't get this. Is it just me? So, like, you're not. I've seen that reaction a lot, but, like, I'm at the point where I just, I don't have that reaction anymore with superhero castings like this because it's been proven, like, a few times over with people that you wouldn't expect, you know, like Chris Pratt, right? Oh, the chubby guy from Parks and Rec is going to be the lead in Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah. Like, Paul Rudd, comedic actor, right? Now he's a superhero. Like, I I don't know. I feel like it's weird, but... Like, I don't see why it wouldn't work. Yeah, I would also add uh, Zachary Levi to that with uh, Shazam. Like, uh, you know, we haven't seen that yet, but Zachary Levi is a talent. And I think I think reaching out of the the sphere of action, action stars, you know, for for these roles is, you know, it's a it's a great move. And that means the cheetah will probably have a personality. Uh, Yeah, um. For sure, and and there's always the you know perennial example of Heath Ledger's Joker, right? Like that's mm-hmm. the that's the when you're talking about oh this doesn't really make sense, you know that's literally a point to that. Um, or shit, man, like Mr. Mom became Batman, you know? Like- <laughs> yeah. So I can't judge. We can't. It's too early to judge. Uh, up front, it's you know a little weird, but I've been dying for them to announce Cheetah for this movie. Uh, so I'm really glad that, you know, we're definitely going to get her here. Uh, Rower Ted, did you guys check out Wonder Woman, the, the film? Yes, we did. Uh, yeah, we find time for movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's quite easy because they come out, like, each of them only comes out once a year. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was, mm, it was very good. Yeah, it was definitely the strongest DCEU entry by a long way. Mm-hmm. That's not saying much, though. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, that that statement is certainly a, a discredit to Wonder Woman. Like, <laughs> I was going to say they kind of feel like they're made by completely different companies. <laughs> yeah, but no, Wonder Woman was good. I, I it's, the, it's the first one that's been released so far where I've actually gone. Oh, I would like to see a sequel of that. Yeah. So wait, 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 wait. You don't want to see a sequel to Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice? Let, let the record show for the listeners that I'm glaring. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a video podcast, so you're- well on YouTube. The audio listeners they needed the they needed that that dialogue. No, nah, that's all right. The dramatic pause helps too, where it's like there's no reply to that. <laughs> <laughs> Personally, I'm looking forward to Batman v Su- Superman Afternoon Tea. Like that's, I think it's going to be great. That's. That's a whole other game. So your mother's name is Martha too. <laughs> We're not so different, you and I. <laughs> Vincent D'Onofrio is going to be Batman in this one. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, reportedly being unhappy there, so why not? There you go. Um, I think I think his role in Jurassic World was an audition to be Batman, where he's like, you know what, I want Velociraptors with lasers on their heads. And Warner Brothers is like, yeah, you want Batman? There he is. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Anything could happen. Uh, 
So, any more thoughts about uh, Kristen Wiig as Cheetah? I think the last thing we saw him was when we watched Bridesmaids on Netflix, and that's a really awkward um, thing to associate with Cheetah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, I'm definitely in the boat where of, like, well, she, she wouldn't have been my first pick, but on the other hand... Let's see what she like, can do. A lot of the casting of these things tends to be, you know, good in a very surprising way, so... We'll see. Yeah, I would say more often. But probably still a fairly safe choice. But there you <laughs> go. I don't know. To be honest, I couldn't think of anyone when I was thinking about, well, who would I rather see? I couldn't think of anybody. So uh, in that case, I'm very open to seeing what they want me to see, you know, at that point. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I feel like Patty Jenkins has earned my trust, you know? Um, so, I, like, if she thinks that she's the right actress for the role, then, like, Show me your vision. So I did want to talk a little bit about the Shazam costume. Kale brought up Zachary Levi, who is playing uh, Shazam. There have been a ton of leaks uh, as far as what the costume is going to look like. We've seen Zachary in the costume, um, and it's been all over Twitter, all over social media. Have you guys had the opportunity? Has everyone here had the opportunity to see it? Yeah. I only saw his head. <laughs> Which seems to have more bumps in it than I remember. Well, that's it's a side effect of the DCEU. The, you know, it's all those close-ups. They bump them with the camera and, you know, they have to film with, like, knots on their heads. I was just thinking he had to work out every single part of himself for the role. <laughs> <laughs> including his eyebrows. <laughs> uh, so, at first, a lot of people were very negative about the costume when the really bad pictures came out, like, last week. Uh, but since then, we've gotten some some better shots and i i gotta tell you i think this costume looks phenomenal it's the new 52 uh rendition if i'm remembering correctly of shazam and he looks amazing this and this is without cg this is without anything this is just you know camera phones or whatever uh i can't wait to see what this looks like on the big screen yeah i agree i think it looks really sharp like i understand why people were concerned when the original pictures were all like from the back and side, you know? So, like, nothing looks good from that angle. Um, but I, I think overall it looks pretty sharp. Is all of that him in the costume? <laughs> it's probably, like, a lot of him with costume accentuation okay. by, look, by looks of things. Yeah, there's some padding in there. No, 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 that's that's a human body. Like there's, there's definitely, like, you can see there's some actual muscle sculpting on the outside of the uh, the, the suit as well. Like, some actual specific muscle definition that wouldn't, wouldn't show through it. So, right. but like, but no, I mean, I'm definitely on board. And while I came away from Justice League feeling slightly sad, slightly, <laughs> I went in with Batman v Superman expectations. So yeah, slightly. But um, like the fact that like the, at the end of that, you had Superman actually in a bright blue suit rather than a muddy gray one, uh. then leads me to, like gives me a lot of hope that the photos we're seeing of this really bright red Shazam costume might actually be the bright red Shazam costume we get in the film. Yeah, it's funny you say that because Superman is like a character. The iconography is supposed to represent hope. So the best way of conveying that hope to a, to a, to a, a viewing base is like, let's take all the hope away from the viewers and then we'll just slowly make the suit brighter and then they'll feel hope. Super effective. <laughs> it's not the strategy I'd have chosen, but it, weirdly worked 
<laughs> is it, is, I think it's meant to be hope that the film gets better. <laughs> but that's what we're left with. <laughs> well, on my planet, it stands for production values. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Uh, yeah, uh, so... Go ahead. I don't know if you guys noticed uh, on, on like, the close-up of... The one that's close up of uh, Zachary Levi, you can see on the uh, the little um, buttons they've got tigers on them. Um, for for you who are uninitiated, that that's a a, a cool throwback to uh, Tawny uh, from old old Shazam comics. He had a a talking tiger friend that walked around in like a, a business suit. Let's see. I mean, you you say you're saying this like it's kind of that one, but like you know. Toki Tony had a pretty substantial role um, towards the end of Final Crisis, which that's fair. Yeah. yeah, no, you're right. But yeah, you know, we, we are talking about the the same same beloved anthropomorphized tiger that killed Calabac. Yeah, we, I mean, yeah, you're you're also referencing Grant Grant Morrison, which is you know not for the uninitiated. <laughs> True. Um, I mean, he was in the New Fifty Two Shazam that uh, Jeff Johns and Gary Frank did as well he just wasn't wearing a suit there I'm, i mean then how did you know because they called him tawny <laughs> and he was a tiger <laughs> and he wasn't selling frosted flakes listen that's not that's not my tawny listen i think you're the one who's uninitiated shots fired i mean of the new 52 like like yeah that was garbage and you know it i know i don't but it's okay bum, bum, bum. back him into a corner <laughs> phil I'm, I'm in the corner <laughs> Actually, I think Phil backed him in the corner. That's what I was saying. Oh, back, okay, yeah. yeah. I'm going to take a shit in this corner, just just like the new 52. Oh. So you said just like Tawny. <laughs> <laughs> just make sure you take your cuffs off when you wipe, Kale. <laughs> his cuffs? Wait, whoa. Because <laughs> Tawny has a dress shirt. Cufflinks, because yeah, he wears cufflinks. a suit. Oh, I thought, oh. Okay, I thought. That was going to look completely different. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> no, he's not my I, president. I hate this. <laughs> oh my god! All right, moving us out of that weird world. Uh, let's talk about <laughs> moving us out of that weird world. Let's talk about Rob Liefeld. <laughs> oh, I thought you wanted to move out of the world. <laughs> well, I thought I did too. But that's the next thing we got to talk about. Uh, Rob Liefeld, friend uh, of the show. <laughs> friend of oh, the that's show. that's true. Uh, yeah, yeah, Let's be honest. Yeah. Uh, longtime fans may know, uh, Phil actually interviewed Rob Liefeld uh, at Wizard World Philly last year. He, he confirmed that a hot dog is a sandwich. He was wrong. Um, so, <laughs> Rob Liefeld is signing a deal with Netflix to take his extreme universe over to their property. So, the extreme universe of, of comics from uh, Rob Liefeld um, is something that has existed for a little while now. And uh, when I say a little while, I mean a while. Uh, he's bringing that, that flavor, the Deadpool flavor, the rated R kind of, you know, edgy humor kind of style. Bringing that over to Netflix Um in a huge deal that's going to see Akiva Goldsman, who's led writers' rooms for movies like Transformers, uh, different things like that, he's going to sort of oversee the property. Um, and we don't know exactly what it's going to look like, 
Um, but this is a thing that's happening. Can can we all take a turn and speculate what it would look like, such as big disproportionate muscles? Uh, <laughs> the size of cars. All the shots are from the waist up. I was gonna, I was gonna say a mysterious lack of feet. <laughs> so we are we are gonna get a series of of movies that they say that much, um, that are gonna kind of have connective tissue, and I guess sort of similar to the Marvel DC you know thing that they're doing now. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in on Netflix though. That's a, that we've not seen. Well. I mean, Defenders was like that. No, Defenders is not a movie. I'm talking about a like. A oh, movie. right. I forgot. Yeah. They are just movies, right? Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but th- that said, the the format is roughly the same. Like, it'll, it'll just be movies that are vaguely connected, and then one big one where they're all connected. Oh, um, that's pretty standard superhero format now, isn't it? Like, you know, Marvel have made sure of that. That I mean, in fact, you know, they established it so securely that. When DC tried to do it differently, it was all just a jumbled mess. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, what I love most about the Extreme Universe is that all the characters resemble characters from Marvel. So uh, there's a character who looks exactly like Cable. Uh, there's a character who looks exactly like Wolverine. I love it. Uh, I can't wait to see how they uh, get around that for the Netflix movies. Or maybe they won't. Maybe they'll lean into it. I don't know. So wait, what was the first one in that series called Pouches? <laughs> I think it's actually Belts. Pockets. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, how long can we keep this going? Well, this is the trilogy. <laughs> oh, okay. Pouches, belts, and pockets. Was the old guys? The big unifying one is guns. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we didn't put pecs in there somewhere. Pecs. I just said that. <laughs> just a minor character. <laughs> Pex are in everything. <laughs> it's kind of like Black Widow. I imagine Pex has a real chip on his shoulder. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the Avengers. More specifically, let's talk about Avengers Infinity War. Uh, it's a movie. It's a movie that's coming out. It's a movie that we're all excited about. Good start. Uh, a little, a little movie, you know. Um, and it's coming out on April 27th. We talked last week about the fact that it got uh, moved up. So it's coming out a week earlier than we than we knew, uh, which is super exciting. But uh, recently it took over the cover, the covers, I should say, all 15 of them uh, for Entertainment Weekly. And they had a huge expose about all this information from the movie, including interviews with Josh Brolin and Kevin Feige, who all had very, very interesting things to say about what this movie is going to mean. And um, I just wanted to uh, spend some time with this article because, in particular, some of Josh Brolin's statements, I think, really are illuminating about what we can expect from the film. Uh, so the interview portion is actually really cool and he kind of talks about Thanos and how this character is not what you would expect. Uh, <clears throat> so he's asked by the interviewer, uh, does Thanos have a correlation to a type of person who exists in the real world? Um, and he says, Josh Rowland does, 
There's that's an interesting question because I'm the least educated person you'll ever meet when it comes to this stuff. I know no, I knew nothing about Thanos, nothing. And it was great. I got to start from scratch. I bring that up because you go, who is he? Kind of an amalgamation of people to me. And who specifically? You want to really go out on a limb because it's not okay to actually parallel with people. But he doesn't divert from his intention at all. Who could be like that? Uh, so that just gives you an idea of the fact that he came into this fresh without preconceived notions of who the character had to be. So what I love about that statement is that he gets to put himself into it. He gets to put, you know, his interpretation, his ideas of who this character is. And then he even goes further with that. Uh, and he's asked the question. Uh, he looks like a Neanderthal. He has that swagger of someone who uses his strength to intimidate. To which uh, Brolin responds, and that's great. And that's your perception of it. You see this lughead and this guy who you pigeonhole right from the first cos- cosmetic reaction to him. And what I see is this is in this guy's eyes this super 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 intelligence there's this constant contrasting thing about this neanderthalic lughead who's way more intelligent than anyone else in this movie by far so that's something we didn't know that you know he's going to use his intellect you know thanos so far hasn't done much so we don't really know what he's going to be like um, and I love the idea that the focus with the character is not necessarily on his physicality because we've seen that, you know, we, we've seen that time and time again. Uh, but that's not even the most interesting thing that, uh, we learned here because we learned, uh, that they're really going to dive deep into the origin of the character in this movie. Uh, we learned that a big part of it is going to be showing us his youth, uh, on Titan, um, and why he's so angry, um, and why he wants to do what he wants to do, um, that he wants to bring order to the universe, that he feels like it's overpopulated, that he feels like people, um, and all beings are, are evil. And the reason he feels that way is because his planet was, ex- was destroyed. And, um, he's a survivor of that. He's the last survivor of that. Um, so that's actually a really interesting and dynamic character that we didn't know we were getting. Yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> that's certainly a much different motivation um, than the original like storyline containing Thanos, right? Like he can definitely be portrayed as a pretty one-dimensional character. So um, I'm open to the idea of like trying to um, explore a deeper side of him, which has been done in the past, but not necessarily in the storyline that it seems like this is the most based on. And I think like at this stage in the game, like we need more dynamic villains not someone who's just going to be a punching bag. So I like the idea of him um, being more about intellect than brute strength, even though he is a physically imposing character. And you know we're going to see that. You know we're going to see him destroy the Avengers in a fight. Um, But the idea of that, of there being more to his character is, I don't know that I necessarily am excited about, like, getting into his childhood, but, like, I, I trust the Russos. So let's let's see what they have planned there. I mean, the most interpretate, the most interesting interpretation of the character is always like Jim Starlin's interpretation, which is, um, that's like the most dimension to the character. That's where the uh, origin stories, uh, actually, you know, evolved upon. And uh, I generally, and this is the case for just about any character, when you turn a character into just a giant meat pile of punches. That's not very interesting. Whether it's Superman, the Hulk, or Thanos, or whomever has the big muscles. Um, so 
making him just this final boss who can outslug the Hulk. No one wants to see that shit for three hours or whatever. We want to see a character that has nuance and depth. I mean, that's what made the Black Panther movie so good is that you had an antagonist who actually, uh, you could at least see where they were coming from and had interesting motivation. Same thing with the Spider-Man movie that just came out. Or the Guardians sequel. Like, people want nuanced villains who are multidimensional. Well, he's definitely not going to have Thanos as a bruiser because we're actually getting the Black Order as well, aren't we? So, yeah. Which I'm on the fence about, but I'm sure they'll do a good job. Why are you on the fence? Well, because like quite early on into reading comics, I um, managed to find on eBay like all of the old Infinity War uh, Gauntlet and Crusade stuff, and so I've got a very I, yeah, and it's it is entirely a personal taste thing, but I've got a very sort of certain image of Thanos being you know the guy who doesn't like to delegate because he trusts himself and not only because he trusts himself, but also because he knows that like, you know, he's unique amongst the the universe. Nobody can do what he does. So it's it's not even just about trust, but it's just this utter certainty that no one can deliver on his schemes like he can. But, you know, that said, like, like you guys said, then, you know, I'm sure the Russos will do a good job. And the Black Order do at least look great. And in, in Hickman's run, like, they, they were, I mean, admittedly really cool um, and effective, you know. So, uh, yeah, the, it might work out. Um, for me, I just, like, none of this makes me more interested in Thanos. Um, I Like... I'm hoping to go in with Thanos as I know him now, uh, based on everything I know from, you know, his first appearance in Avengers, which is nothing. That's not true. You, you know, know that he's very good at sitting in chairs. You got me there. Um, and of course, we all remember that the, the his um, timeless classic. Uh, Mode of transport, the Thanos copter. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, I don't know if you guys have um, played the uh, the Lego Marvel Avengers game, but that was one of the unlockable vehicles. That is that is awesome. Well, that that the great, Magneto man. car. It was remarkably hard to steer, but just it was so <laughs> worth it. Just because it was, you actually just got a yellow helicopter with Thanos on the. Uh, from the tail. That's amazing. <laughs> it takes a complete infinity gauntlet to properly steer. <laughs> That's one hell of a driving glove. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. What are the odds we get that? I, I want that in the movie. Yeah, I mean that that, that would just kill me completely. Cause I, I had a, a big enough nerd reaction to the fact that like Thor is wielding a new weapon in this that we've seen. And it's great because it looks like the hitch-designed ultimate Mjolnir, yeah. but it's called Stormbreaker, which is, you know, that's a lot of uh, lot of nerd bells ringing. Right, because uh, Stormbreaker is um, Beta Ray Bill's weapon, right? Yep. Uh, I was yeah, going to so. draw that out a bit like a horse's snout, but whatever. Mm. I know, it was, it was the, yeah, in the Thor Ragnarok film, yeah. the, seeing the, uh, the Corbin, um, Corbinite... Uh, um, head in the, the building was great. Yes. 
Yes. Uh, that was that. That's one of the things I love is those little Easter eggs that are you know if you get them then then it's like this huge nerdgasm. But if you don't, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't affect anything. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see you know what what comes of this movie. Uh, I I guess for me, I love knowing that Thanos is going to be explored because they say he's going to be the main character of the movie. They say we're going to get to know him. The biggest problem that I have with the villains of these movies, we don't know who they are. And when we find out things about them, they're boring. So hopefully with some depth, uh, hopefully with a real emphasis on this character, we can get one of the better villains we've seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe or really in any superhero movie that we've seen. Yeah, since Thor 2, The Dark World. Okay. And that's a wrap. Thanks for coming, folks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, like, like we're very unlikely to get a Steppenwolf here, so right. Yeah, I- exactly. I think Marvel recognizes that they have to hit, they have to hit it out of the park with Thanos. Yeah, especially for what six years of buildup. Yeah, and six years of buildup, and not only that, but like a, a situation where mostly when we've seen him, he's been thwarted or just plain ineffectual. So, like, it's not it's, it's six years of build-up of, like, not being a significant menace, so they really need to pull out all the stops here. Yeah, especially when he's going toe-to-toe with every hero that, like, we've had established, you know, like, that you have to be imposing, right? Like, we've seen all these, you know, groups of people or, you know, in some cases, tree monsters or what have you, uh, overcome these, like, seemingly impossible odds. So, like, if Thanos is going to be, like an imposing enough threat to stand up to all of them on the same side, like, he's going to have to be, you know, like, something really significant. He's going to have to be a real power player, and that's a tough, you know, sell if he's not the main character to some degree, if he's not a really well-developed villain, um, because he'll he'll, he'll seem boring and ineffectual, because he'll just get his ass kicked. <laughs> right. We, we all know, and I think we can all agree at this point, that, that what will develop his character the most and make him the most fearsome villain possible is finally getting his fucking stupid hat. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, so wait, you're suggesting that he's insecure about his baldness and he needs to cover it up? <laughs> okay. I mean, with that big purple Bruce Willis looking face, you wouldn't be? That might be why he's trying to conquer the world. Honestly. I, I personally, I don't know. Maybe he's um, um, trying to invade Earth to find his um, okay. Joss Whedon doppelganger <laughs> and uh, take him out once and for all. It sounds like you're writing a new motivation for the character. Like, his insecurity. All I'm saying is, we don't know what's coming, and, you know, got to be prepared for everything. <laughs> you know what? Given how certain movies have played out, uh, that's not a bad idea. You never know what you're going to get. So we've seen the characters in Avengers grow and change over time. And we know that with Infinity War and whatever uh, the Avengers movie in 2019 is going to be, that there's going to be a sense of kind of ending and finality for some of these characters, which is one of the things that fans are so excited about because we don't know what the story holds. And that opens the door for the main topic of this episode that I want to dive into uh, because that's not what you get in comics. 
In comics, you don't get that. In comics, you get, you know, Spider-Man. This is the, the classic perennial example of Spider-Man gets married to Mary Jane. He has this great life. And then Marvel decides he's gone too far from the elevator pitch. And they, you know, bring him back to one. He rubber bands. Uh, and comic book characters traditionally have been those kind of rubber band uh you know, expressions of, you know, we can't let this character grow beyond what any person could realistically know about them. Because if they do, then they're unappealing or they're not, um, they're not easily graspable. Uh, and, and there are some questions there that I really want to dive into with you guys. Um, is it, is it right? Should comic book characters be allowed to progress and age through their lives like real humans? Or should they be forced to be rubber bands, uh, characters that can grow and change, but eventually always snap back to a place that resembles who we grew up with them as? Uh, we all want to grow and change with these characters, but what about you know the 15-year-old or 10-year-old who's picking up their first Spider-Man comic? Should they not get to have that same experience that we did? Uh, that's a big question, especially when it comes to the big two, and that's kind of what I want to dive into and talk about here. Any initial thoughts? So, I, I, I'm of two minds um, because, like, I think I think in your the latter part of your example, like that's the reason they they do rubber band, right? Like, you want that 15 year old to pick up a Spider Man comic and. And be like, oh crap, this is me. I'm Spider-Man. But at the same time, you've got the 40, 50-year-old, you know, Spider-Man fan who's been reading the same comic for, you know, so long. You know, he starts to get, well, they start to get disappointed because, you know, this isn't the character they grew up with and, and have been reading for so long. Um, I think that's that's the benefit of legacy characters um i you know uh like the flash i think handled it best in in terms of the big two um you know wally west grew up and eventually took over the flash and then even passed it on um eventually coming back and having kids and and a life and and then dc snapped it all back um but then you have books like invincible at the same time that chronicle a whole character's life and and make it one big narrative um personally i i would prefer to see the legacy character route you know i would i would rather see a a family of characters uh grow and change over the years and and i think that has the potential to uh show different aspects of you know, uh, a character and identity that can change over the years. Not that it would be great to see, you know, Superman deal with incontinence or anything, but like, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. Cause I mean, if you look at, um, the incredible, um, uh, Superman secret identity, like that showed how you can do an aging Superman with grace and dignity. Yeah. Incredibly emotional, but, it provided a good blueprint for that, that kind of building through things. 
yeah, I guess yeah, that's the thing is you you do want those characters to to have the the grace and the dignity and and you know the you want to be able to give the audience a a, a way to kind of usher out their version of the character and then bring bring in something new for both the younger people and the older people. I think uh, Rebirth Superman's also been doing a really good job in that because of the actual mm. explicit parenting way. Because that you know, if they were to replace Clark with John, they've done it early enough there that like you could still get a decade of Clark, and then by the time John came like became a young but admittedly Superman, you could still have a really good way of um, transitioning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that I think that that's a that's a good point, but it but it begs the question: Are we in that case ready? to let go of Clark is Clark is Superman in is Clark Kent integral to Superman and the success of the character and the reason why we love him so much or can you pass that mantle down and still have the same will fans still have the same affection can you still tell those stories and see the same level of success or do we always have to have Clark I think there's a huge differentiation between like actual marketing success and like preference because I think for most readers, both casual and diehard, they want to see the characters that they're most familiar with. They want to see Bruce Wayne as Batman and they want to see Peter Parker as Spider-Man. But I mean, from a personal standpoint, I echo what Kale's saying in the regard that when Morrison made, uh, Dick Grayson, Batman, I was ready for that transition. I was ready for Damian Wayne to be Robin. I was ready for the mantle to be passed. And, like, I was ready for an entire new set of stories because it's a completely untapped tapestry. You have a serious Robin and a goofy-ass Batman. Um, but the, the reason why the rubber band snaps back so much is because of the iconography. People associate, like, certain things to someone like Superman. They associate Lois Lane, The Daily Planet, Clark Kent. Perry White, Jimmy Olsen, Mom Pa Kent, uh, all those things. And give me six more. I really could if you want me to. <laughs> uh, whereas if you move the clock and you have someone like Jonathan Kent take the mantle, that inquire that requires evolution. That cha- requires a change of scenery, a new cast of characters that would take time to cement a legacy. Whereas with someone like Superman, you had a nine-year TV show in the 1950s that cemented his setting, his his supporting characters. You had radio shows. You had all these books that were mass-purchased and produced by children across the world. Um, So for like the really large, for the large characters, the bigger than life characters that are like the mythology of our modern society, it's it's really difficult to snap away from the the status quo for longer than a couple years. I would also I would also just kind of counter your question, Sean, with like, wouldn't wouldn't that snap back? Wouldn't that take away the Clark Kent that we already know? How do you mean? Well, like, you know, so uh, for the the Superman example uh, from like the New 52, right? You've got, we've had roughly the same Clark Kent from 1930 to, you know, 2011, right? With a couple of variations in between, but I mean, more or less roughly the same. 
and when the new 52 happened, we were snapped back to a whole new Clark Kent with a whole new origin and a whole new set of ideas and personalities that weren't quite what we knew specifically for different readers. That's, that's such a, that's such a, like, that's like an almost disservice to what happens because the new 52 Clark Kent had most of the same similarities that in the iconography of what is Clark Kent. Um, he had mom, Clark Kent, uh, he grew up in Smallville. He went to Metropolis. He had a crush on Lois. I mean, these are all the things that have been happening since the late forties, the mid forties. Uh, and, and, and like, and look at him now. He's married to Lois again. Like, it's, 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 it's the same type of things. What happened in 2011, they didn't reinvent the wheel. They just, they took all the same images and ideas and they just did it a slightly different way kind of like ultimate spider-man uh, ultimate spider-man 2001 it had a lot of the same beats of 1962 spider-man just slightly different because that's what the audience is familiar with and to that point uh even now we're seeing with doomsday clock we're finding out that 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 was all the result of tinkering by Doctor Manhattan, anyways, or at least that's where it seems like it's going. So they're not even happy with that, you know, and they're looking to probably rubber band yet again. Um, so I don't, I don't think that there's a like, I can't think of an example of a character who has changed so much that they're unrecognizable from where they were when they were created or at least what the what the general population understands that character to be not counting like batman using guns in his first appearances cuz that's you know that's that's mimi we're not talking about that yeah it's like except for the odd example that's generally how it seems to go right but i mean like it, it wasn't always that way which is the interesting thing right like i think kale made a really good uh, example right of the flash and how that mantle passed over time and like different generations had their own flash right like if you grew up reading at a certain time you know a certain flash is your flash green lantern too and yeah exactly i was gonna say like that's the the really obvious one hmm. yeah and and that's a great that's a great point too and um you know i guess like you can argue that it's different for those characters like they're they're not Superman. They're not Batman. Um, they're not Wonder Woman. So like, maybe that's a, a, a different conversation worth having. But I think it's tough because people want to have their cake and eat it too. We talk about the issue on this show all the time that um, if things are the same, fans complain that it's stagnant. If they're different, they complain that it's it's not my right. And that's the challenge. And what I honestly think is the answer. Um, is, uh, stuff like the imprint we talked out about at the top of the show. It's stuff like Ultimate Spider-Man. It's like, I, when I was a teenager and looking to get into Spider-Man, that's the book that I read, you know, and it, it was a current, uh, modern take on the character that was a great jumping on point for me as a young reader. And it gave me that, um, you know, kind of easy way to get into the character and then go back and read the the classic stuff because I took took an interest. 
But um, and I think that's a, a totally uh, legitimate and worthwhile strategy. And I think it could really go either way, right? Like if you want to have the monthly books consistently rubber band so that they're a status quo place where you can get meat and potato stories about the character as you think of the character, fine. Then we should use Elseworld stories or these imprints or however you want to describe them uh, as maybe a way to explore these characters in another way and establish like um, Marvel did, uh, what was it, MVC2, right, in the uh, the late 90s, early 2000s where, um, you know, like Peter retired and his daughter became Spider-Woman, you know? Um, and, uh, there was a new group of X-Men because most of them had retired or died or whatever, whatever have you. Um, or again, something like we have with Super Sons, like having a storyline where we follow that to its natural conclusion and Clark, you know, kind of passes the mantle and just, you know, does his thing. Um, I think that those are stories worth being told and they're stories that I think people are interested in, but like, there, do- there does probably need to be that rubber banding to some degree because like, Otherwise, you are expecting people to be like, you know, like we've also said before in the past things like, oh, well, there's 50 years of the character like that. Okay, but like what if someone doesn't want to go back and read old comics? You know, like what if that's a thing that they're not interested in doing as a new reader? They want to jump on and read what's current and be part of the conversation. And like maybe that's a thing comics needs to do. And if they're, if they're, they do want to appeal to, like Kale said, the 50 year old Spider-Man fan, or in my case, the 25 year old Spider-Man fan, maybe they need to make a book that's specifically for us. Ro, what's your take on all this? Oh God. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't really have one because there's all, you've all been making very good and different points about all of this. And um, with the whole, rubber banding thing. Um, I was wondering whether part of it, it's, um, the main character type things, between different writers, isn't it always going to be a slight difference in the characters anyway? Absolutely. I don't know if you can have a particular... You can. I feel like you can only really love, in my case, how a certain person has written the character. So there's so many different versions of that character that rubber banding thing just taking you back to a, a different start point for a different writer i'm not sure if i've got a point with that no 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 yeah uh, i think you're making a really good point uh and one that is often ignored in this conversation which is that the we we associate these characters a lot of times with writers and we don't realize it right so like Brian Michael Bendis wrote Ultimate Spider-Man exclusively for so long that that he defines that character. He created that character, right? So if someone else writes him, that's a different era of that character. And there are undoubtedly always elements of these characters that get rubber banded uh, when a new writer comes on because they have their own idea about where that character should go. And sometimes what was done before contradicts what they want to do now and they need to sort of strip away some things in order to be able to tell a story that is theirs because it's a realistic question right how do you how do you continue the story of a character that wasn't created by you and who's also existed for decades and been rubber banded multiple times like there isn't a straight line who was created before you were born imagine being a person who's writing spider-man today and you are like any of our ages right 
that character has existed for like 40 years or something before you were born. How do you, how do you take everything that's happened into account and at the same time tell your own story? Uh, and so that's a really interesting sort of problem. Grant Morrison addressed it super excellently. I know, I know, Phil, in, uh, <laughs> in Rest in Peace and that whole storyline that he did. Um, but it, but it, I think it is a problem. Uh, and the, the reason why I think it's a problem is because how do you as a new fan come into that? If you really love, for example, the most recent Spider-Man movie, if you buy Spider-Man today, it's not the same character. So does that person turn away because they don't want to read something that's unfamiliar? And if they do, what's Marvel's responsibility as far as being a publisher to try to keep that person? How do they appeal to that person and me? who's been reading Spider-Man for 10 plus years. Well, I mean, there, the, the thing I've, I've advocated for, for a long time, and, you know, it's not, it's not something that I will ever have any power to do, but is running superhero comics in seasons. So, like, the, rather than, um, like, you know, them all being, what happens is January is your start of, the, of each season, and, you know, you get a creative team that are committed, they sign a contract for 12 months at a time, 12 books and that, that's your season you've got you know um they can either do a series of smaller mini arcs one big arc or a series of one shots like and it, so what's going to happen is each year gets the collector's edition so you just get a, a book of us of the season rather than so we go to a, just a once yearly collection for that title and then you've got the option of either like you know re-upping those creators or bringing on new ones. And because with that model, you can take the idea of continuity from like, you know, being kind of a very fungible concept everywhere. Like it's really, is down to each individual writer. So then what you could do is you actually, if, if you've got everybody working on the season model, you can codify continuity and say that it's explicitly hard if one writer has more than one season, but that it can get softer if when you change writers so that like you know it becomes more open to change and it also means that then like if if each season is one self-contained story or you know or even if it's a series of small ones by the same creators what it means is that you're only ever at most six months away from a jumping on point yeah titan does something kind of similar to that with uh their doctor who comics um each they have one you know a line for you know, whatever doctor right now, it's nine, 10, 11, and 12, I think with, uh, four maybe as well. Uh, and at least the modern ones, nine, 10, 11, 12 have year ones, year twos, year threes. I think 10 is up to year four now. Yeah. It's like, it's a really sensible, sane model for superhero comics. Like it would require a massive reset of the whole publishing line for a whole variety of reasons a lot of which, you know, none of us would know what those reasons are because we don't, you know, know the insides of the, their publishing. But I think long-term, it would be a really sane strategy to pursue. Yeah, and I think, I think again, like, even if that wasn't um, the, like, the mainline thing, right? Like, even if you still want to have Amazing Spider-Man as the bi-weekly traditional comic and you have something like that that is aimed at the more 
casual reader or the the trade waiters, right? The the people who aren't going to the shop every Wednesday. I think that's a really smart strategy. And I think having something that is a straight line in the same way that like Kale said, uh, Invincible is, right? Like that's a story where you can watch the, you know, life of a hero play out over the course of 13 years and it's a straight line. And there's no confusion about where it begins or ends. And I think that we need to get some semblance of that somewhere. You know, something like that, that is an accessible way to approach these characters. Because I think that's why Ultimate Spider-Man was so successful, frankly. You know, is that it, it was easy to do that, to follow, you know, Peter from point one, which is what some people are always going to want to do. The problem with that is what happens when it's been 20 years since you started that model. You always, you always come to a point where it's been a long time. And, you know, if it's, even if it's 10 years, if you're, if you're the person who's like, you know what, I really just want to read Spider-Man and I want to start from the beginning. Are you, can you, can you reasonably be expected to spend whatever the amount of money it is that would take you to catch up with 10 years worth of this character's story just to be current? That's a huge problem. Well, that's, that's what I was talking about with the season idea. Cause then like, if you've got soft continuity between writers, then like it would, it would inevitably mean that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily need anything before the writer that you're current, that who's currently going. So it would provide a, a more stable jumping on system. If not necessarily like it would, it would mean it was, you know, um, still fluctuating, but, it would mean that you you wouldn't you'd never be too far from a jumping on point because like some some creative teams might only be there for a season some might be there for four or five but even so like you'd be unlikely to have runs much beyond that these days so that would you know it would still limit the uh, the amount of time like for the the story that's current yeah that 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 makes sense to me i guess uh i guess for me um i feel like there is an element of that in superhero comics, like Ro was saying, there, there, there is that natural rubber banding that happens when a new creative team comes on board. Um, and so, but, but, but again, if you are somebody who wants the whole story, right? Like if you want the whole of it, how, how can the comics industry provide that at a, at an affordable price point? Cause for example, if you want to watch like, I don't know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer right now, right? If you just want to see everything, you could just buy all the seasons for pro- probably at this, like 50 bucks. You could probably get all the seasons for like 50 bucks to these days. If you wanted to read every, like every Spider-Man comic that came out, it would cost you like a lot of money and more than the money it would take a ton of time, right? And so in, in, in your example, I think, um, that it would work really, really well for a certain number of years. But I think you get to that point where, at least in my mind, it becomes, okay, there's a lot here. How do we market this? How do we, you know, how do we get new readers on board who really care about the origin? So, I mean, Sean, like with what you're saying, there is one really notable example of someone actually tackling that problem, which is... Um Marvel are doing it with uh, Ed Pisco's X-Men. Grand thank you. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So like, yeah, there's, you're, you're right. There's a definite model for 
repackaging older stories in a digestible way, you know, so that pe- people who didn't want to read in the entirety can still engage with the material. Is it basically like a really big previously on? Kind of. Like, it's, um, it's the Treasury edition. Like, uh, you know that... Um, I think I vaguely remember you telling me about it. Well, yeah, it. like, you know that um, Jack Kirby 2001 book that I've got? It's that size. Yeah? Oh, oh, when they reprinted uh, 2001, the Space Odyssey that Jack uh, Kirby did, that's like 11 by 18 or some shit. Yeah, it's, it, 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 no, it's, it's, um, it's wider than that, because like, it's the Treasury format. So Right, right, right. It's it's much closer in size to like um, European comics rather than American. So instead of being sure. like that kind of tall and narrow, it's much it's it's still very very tall, but also quite wide. Uh, I guess I, w- I would equate it to like a, a yearbook, like a high school yearbook. Okay. Yeah. Is that one of your books that I'm not allowed to read without supervision? Probably it is quite old. <laughs> the other one's the Bible, right? Well, just like any. Any any good solid Christian, you know. Actually, I think it's one of his Hellboy books. Do the library editions? Just like any good solid Christian. Exactly. Hell yeah! But no, you you bring up an excellent point regarding uh, Ed Pisker's grand design, and I think that um, that represents a model that really could work. If you're talking about, I mean, think about the application of that across the board. You know, if you could get a super talent like him to sort of, you know, or whatever creative team to sort of retell those stories in a very brisk format, I guess, um, that is slavishly accurate without being sort of a boring retelling, I guess. Yeah, it's it's about paraphrasing rather than, you know, summarizing. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly. Well, you, like a clip. yeah. You've got stuff like uh, Kurt Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross's uh, Marvels or uh, Lynn Wein's uh, History of the DC Universe or whatever that book was called. And I feel like even to a, a lesser extent, now that it's the aim of the book, but like Spider Man Blue is kind of like that, right? Where it is like a retelling of um, of older stories, but in a new way with a fresh perspective. Well, a Grand Design isn't actually a fresh perspective. That, that's kind of the point of it is that it's more like, here's everything that happened. Here's what happened. You know, like, like quick, <laughs> you know, like we're going to take 70, not 70, but however many years of continuity and we're going to condense it, super condense it into something really readable that gives you, that makes you a very knowledgeable person about the X-Men. Yeah, cause he's tackling like up to the Claremont years, isn't he? I think so. It's, it's an insane amount of X-Men to be shoving into one book, like four books. Yeah, it it's unbelievable what he's doing. And I think that if I think that if it, it proves to be the success that they probably would like it to be, there's a realistic chance that we get this for some other books. And if you can do that, then that solves the new reader problem. Yeah. Yeah. If they market it right. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's a good way of capturing the essence of the books. Uh, and also acclimating new readers to the idea of change, like change and evolution of the characters. That's actually another really good point because it it represents the course of you know all these years this this big change, and you accept it because it's what's happening in that book. So when you come out of that and you go and read like the newest X Men comic, for instance, it's like, oh, okay, this is where they ended up after all of that. That's cool. Yeah, I'll be really interested to see, like five years from now what impact grand design has had because i 
I'm hoping that it does leave a legacy beyond itself. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I think that's probably a good place to wrap this conversation. Anybody have any final points they really want to make on the subject before we uh, jump out? It's just, The thing that sticks with me, and I think this is like a good punctuation mark, is Grant Morrison, when he has talked about writing Batman and Superman, these are characters that were along well before he was born and are going to be around well after he's dead. And writing or illustrating these characters, it's like you're in someone else's sandbox and it's kind of humbling because of what what they are to our larger culture and how that actually uh, uh, unfolds in a narrative, whether it's something new or snaps back. Um, like in his mind, it, 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 does, it doesn't matter because it always comes back, I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so if you want to add to the conversation and contribute, uh, you listeners out there, there are plenty of ways you can do that. Uh, you can hit us up on iTunes or Apple Podcasts uh, and leave us a rating while you're there. Um, you can find us on social media at the Comics Pals. Uh, you can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com where you can talk to us about this or any other subject that we've talked about on this show or any other episode of the show. Uh, and last but not least, everybody's favorite way to contribute to the show is YouTube. Uh, where you guys have written in the majority of the comments that we get. Uh, so you can continue to do that if you'd like. Um, and while you're there, you absolutely want to make sure to like the video, uh, share it with your friends, and subscribe to the channel because we've got a lot more coming. Um, you don't want to miss out. So uh, with that, we're going to do some plugs. And of course, I want our special guests to start the plug uh, segment and just let us know where we can find you guys. You guys were fantastic guests. If people want to know more about you guys or continue to see more from you guys, where can they get you? Well, um, like, like I said earlier in the show, Twitter is the best place. Um, and there you'll, like, now that crowd is finally been announced, we can actually post a lot of little teasery bits of material. Tidbits. So, um, best place to see um, any art stuff from us currently is um, Twitter. So, I'm at 10, is the, the uh, word rather than the number, underscore bandits. And I'm at rosy tinted specs all one word and rosy is r-o-s-y awesome uh pete cool so thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of the comics pals if you want to catch some more content from me remember that you can tune in uh tomorrow for the video game pals with me and sean uh where we talk all about video games funnily enough um we have a ton of really exciting stuff to talk about this week including uh all of the stuff from the from this week's nintendo direct Ooh, uh, so that we, hot hot nintendo direct oh boy i am excited and uh, we're gonna have our buddy ed from the party nerds back on the show uh so it's it's gonna be a good episode make sure you tune in for that one if you're a gamer and um if you want to uh catch some more of my other stuff you can get my writing over at cbr.com um i've got uh a couple new lists out this week um i've got one about the 10 best and 10 worst superhero video game covers so go check that out um go remember i'm writing news for them now so if you go click on my author page look at some of my stuff click on it help me pay the bills it would really uh be a great help to me and then um, last but not least, you can get me on social media at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. And remember to tune into my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash loud Pete on uh, Fridays and Saturdays for streams. So come hang out. Cool. Uh, also, don't forget uh, the other show that Pete hosts, the Riverdale Review, which will be back on Wednesday. 
Uh, I unfortunately had to miss this one, but Riverdale is back uh, and full steam ahead, too. Holy the, shit, what an episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I I had to miss it, but um, man, I cannot wait to catch up and, and jump back in the saddle. Um, Margaret, you, I had fun. <laughs> uh, I doubt it. Um, <laughs> if you want to uh, donate to uh, uh, Dunfermline Comic Con's uh, uh, GoFundMe. I mentioned last week that they uh, they were uh, affected by the the big blizzard that came through. Um, I guess the upper part of the UK. Uh, you guys said that it didn't affect you guys that much. Like, let's yeah, uh, it shut them down pretty hard. Stop the Comic Con. Um, it uh, it's. It, they're doing really well. They passed uh, ten thousand um, pounds in the first two days, and um, it's only only been growing. But that uh, that link is GoFundMe.com slash Save Dunfermline Comic Con. Um, we'll have a link in the description below. Um, other than that, you can find my stuff at uh, Panels Comics um, on uh, all the places that comics are, whatever. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into. That's T O T O I N T O W. Phil. <clears throat> well, before I go, I want to present the floor to my dear friend Marco, uh, who just jumped in here for the plugs. <clears throat> Hi, um, I'm Marco. Um, I just started a new Facebook page called uh, My Waifu Throw Pillow. Uh, you can find that on Facebook. It's a new fraternity. Um, I just got a Swamp Stop. Thing one. It's really good. Um, you can find it on my Instagram, which is at uh, Woe is Marco and also Mr. Marco Animoto. Back to you, Phil. Okay, thanks. <clears throat> um, so we're about a week removed from uh, the uh, Oscars, and Andy from the Video Game Pals and I did a, a special on that. You can still check it out and see how we did. Um, we, as a group, just recorded a book club episode on Space Riders that you can still check out, too. Um, pretty good stuff. It's pretty funny. Good feedback there. Uh, we have another one coming up in a couple weeks for All-Star Superman. You can be on the lookout for that. Uh, Sean and I are going to do a WrestleMania review in about a month, so you can check that out, too. And otherwise, you can find me at Cyborg Bebop on that social media, John. All right. So with that, we're going to sign off. But before we do, we want to say a huge, 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 huge thank you to our special guests, Ted Brandt and Roasting. Thank you so much for joining us. It was a blast and an absolute pleasure. Oh, it's been so much fun. Yeah, it's been really great. Thank you. We don't get to talk to many people. <laughs> <laughs> well, you well, guys are welcome back anytime. You can always talk to us. In fairness, That's how you know. this is not a, a normal human interaction either. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See ya next week. Smell you later. That's how you know they had a good time. They don't get around to talking to many people. So they had to suffer through talking to us. Yeah.